Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, author and founder of Peru's Ayahuasca Adventure Center, Daniel Cleland, along with our returning guest, Doc Buma from the Sick Call Podcast, join us to discuss, well, of course, ayahuasca and its long-term positive effects. Along with quasi-atheist, Ronald Reagan's anti-solar activities, my current fave, the incredible results of straw bale gardening, well, it's just going to be another great episode. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle figure of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches... And prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode one zero one of the Drunken Dows podcast. The next century begins uh, this time with a great interview, a return visit from our pal Doc Buma, and a very interesting friend of his who has a bit of a love for ayahuasca. It's a great story, so we'll get to those guys in a second. But first, across from me, Daniele Bellelli. I don't know how you stand staring at my good looks and not. Painting. Well, I tried to say next to you, but it was too much, so that's why I came back across the table. I think that's a wise course of nothing action. Got, nothing got done. It's impossible, really. You're only human, after all. The, um, thank you to Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design, our usual trifecta of sponsors who help us out. That's. Oh, tell me. Oh, no, I just, I'm giving out fanny packs this year. That's what you're getting from good old Chris O'Dell. That's an excellent plan. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, you love yours. Rogan likes his. And my wife is a big time aficionado now as well. You know, I forgot who was. I was talking with somebody and um, I'm trying to remember who it was. Oh, my friend Jeff. Uh, he was saying now, it's awesome that Datsusara has created this thing where, you know, hemp gear is typically this happy, hippie kind of vibe, but the bags, the design, everything has more this badass tactical you look like you're type going of... You're war, for exactly. sure. Exactly. So it's, uh, it's more of a samurai approach to hemp than the stereotypical hippie approach to it all. So it's, it's funny. Nobody wanted to fuck with us as we were loading up for our, our, our Thanksgiving visit because everybody's got a... Yeah, a, it know, looks like you have shotguns and, and yeah. big bags full of... Oh, don't mess with those guys. You yeah. even have your awesome Datsusera hoodie, hoodie on right now. Of course. I, I might be a one. bit envious of that. You should get one. Let's, That's awesome. Let's set it up. Let's make it happen. But yes, check them out at dsgear.com. And of course, the discount code, I believe is Daniele, but you'll find it in the episode notes just in case if I screwed it up. So if you want to order from them, use the discount. It always helps. On it, they kick us. They have been good to us. And as I mentioned, I would mention I said in previous episode that I would bring up something different from Onnit each time. This one has saved me on multiple trips. Uh, they are Oat Mega Bars. This one specifically chocolate mint crisp. I really like them. Uh, they are not expensive at all for what you get. 
They are Unid something nutritious that's not crap on the run. I really like these bars. Every time I go on a trip or on a hike, if I'm in Big Bear or something, I bring these with me. They always hit the spot. So check them out. They're a very good gig. And uh, of course, Shore Design. Our own t-shirts are made from Shore Design, so you can order them through us. Each one, one better than the next, from the logo designed by Jamie to all the ones designed by Savannah. They are I really, I mean, I'm so damn happy. I always, in this moment, I'm wearing an, the EQ1 as we speak. So there are those that are always great. And of course, there's also the whole short design catalog that's very extensive with all of their designs. Check them out. And thank you, short design, for making our t shirts. Having said all this, shall we shut up and get going with the discussion? Yeah, this is a fun one. I think you're going to like it. Let's make it happen. Oh, this stuff's great, man. The the Alpha Brain is fuck. It is one of the few things that helps me actually have memory. Yeah, like yeah, I like it a lot. But I've only done it in the pill form. So shall we press the magic record button and roll? It is pressed. It is pressed. Let's roll. Okay, guys. So here we are, ready to roll with four wine glasses around my kitchen table. Trouble. That's always a good start. They're all for me, by the way. I'm alone by myself, and I figure I would pour myself four glasses. That No, that's not quite the way it is unless we actually do live in the Matrix, and I am making up the people around me, if they are not actual physical human beings, but they are just products of my imagination, which is I don't discount it as a possibility, but I'll stay on the safe side and say that's not the case. So here we go, around the table. Shall we have... Uh, well, I'll give the... I'll, may, I'll pretend to be rich because he's running around the table at the moment. And then, who do we got on this side of the table? Donnie Bumanlog. I was on uh, episode 89, I think, yeah. something like that. So a quick return. Yeah, Donnie. quick return. And then? Uh, my name is Dan Cleland. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Daniele. Yeah, you have a perfect name. I like your first <laughs> name. <laughs> it's a strong name. It is. Mainly, that's what it's all and about. And global in nature. Absolutely. So here we are rolling. Now, um, let's jump in with you then for a second. How, well, I guess that's... Uh, let's jump in with both of you because kind of that's how the story of how you guys connected is also the story of some of the stuff that you worry about and do and what you've been doing with your life as of late. So why don't you guys tell me a little bit about how you connected and that will sort of get the ball rolling in. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, um, I met Donnie uh, down at my place in Peru. I own a, an ayahuasca retreat center in Peru. It goes by the name of Pulse Tours. Big shout and, out. Uh, ayahuasca Adventure Center. Donnie came down last year with his father. And uh, we were just in our infant stages as a retreat center. It was, I guess, a couple years ago, wasn't it, Don? Yeah, it was like uh, almost two years ago now. I came home on Veterans Day uh, two years ago, whatever year that is, 2014. So, yeah, you reached out to me recently and was kind of like, you know, he wanted to meet 
Daniele Bolelli. So we ended up uh, here. It's pretty awesome. But yeah, last time I seen you, man, I was in uh, Maloca, outside of your place in Peru. And that's pretty much all we had back then. We, yeah, it was just the, in Maloca. It was like the facility we had back then is about thirty percent the size of what we have right now. Yeah, I thought it was great then. I mean, you're kind of coming up the river, and there was, like, nothing. And then all of a sudden, there's this place that almost looks like a house. Like, you're like, oh, wow, this is, like, civilization. But now, man, when I see the pictures, it's, like, a whole thing. It's yeah, like a village. Yeah, we got to get you back down sometime. I would like to go. I, I mean, I loved the experience down there. It was great. I mean, I'd recommend anybody who wants to go to, who is even thinking about ayahuasca, definitely hit this guy up, go to his place. Um, I would do it again if I could. Hopefully I can pretty soon, but, uh, you know, four kids and day-to-day shit, they usually don't let you run off to the jungle for 10 days or two weeks. And do you get a, a look at Machu Picchu and fun things like that while you're there, or is it just... You actually have a couple different packages, yeah, right? Yeah, so, <clears throat> so um, we kind of have the two operations. One is the tour company called Pulse Tours, and Pulse Tours has, like, different options. We do kind of, like, multi-destination trips, most of which kind of focus on... Uh, shamanic or healing plant medicines in peru particularly we work with about four medicines uh, one is ayahuasca of course the 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 bread and butter really of the whole uh scene then there's san pedro which is also known as wachuma it's a it's a cactus containing mescaline similar to peyote except it's not quite as strong the ones on um, my socks I have cactus on my socks oh. right now. <laughs> Shout out to San Pedro. <laughs> and then we work with a frog venom called uh, called cambo or sapo. It, uh, it's collected by uh, catching these uh, frogs that live in the trees. They're called monkey frogs or uh, filamedusa bicolor. And uh, the people that capture them, they'll tie up their legs with strings, just put like four little sticks in the ground and, and bind their legs and then kind of tickle their nose with a feather or a stick, and the frogs secrete this venom from their glands on their back. Lick them! And they swab it with, uh, like, a, like, a popsicle stick, cured over fire, and that is applied by uh, uh, burning a little hole in the upper layer of skin and applying the reconstituted uh, frog venom onto the hole. And then the fourth primary medicine we work with is called Nu Nu, which is like a tobacco snuff. Mm, yeah. And so one of our shamans down there um, makes that up. It's tobacco, c- cacao. Uh, macambo and some other herbs and basically takes a big long pipe and blows it up your nose so um so yeah the pulse tours kind of does tours that encompass all those different medicines we go up to machu picchu and do the inca style thing Uh, but then the ayahuasca adventure center is is a singular location a lodge retreat center in the amazon near iquitos and that's where we do most of our work that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I dig it. By the way, it's funny that the second we started talking and brought up psychedelics, now we have a police helicopter that's flying over our house that you may be hearing in the background that keeps circling right on top of us. That just to relax us, just make us feel better that we're not being watched and there's no... But yeah, on that note, the how did you get involved uh, with this whole like, good Canadian boy how did you end up in uh, the jungles of Peru involved with plant medicine and everything else how did the whole thing start well I mean it it, it goes back quite a ways I've always uh, respected psychedelic medicines start going back from my early you know, my late teens my mid-teens late teens early 20s you know started off taking mushrooms at parties but then and LSD and stuff yeah. like that but then quickly 
began enjoying those like nighttime hikes through the forest, really just being in awe of all the nature around me and kind of connecting. Mm-hmm. I didn't call it spirituality, but I, I would often like take psychedelics by myself and and really kind of go deep and have these profound experiences by myself. And then quite a few years later, uh, you know, I was I was interested in travel before I was interested in ayahuasca and I was spending a lot of time traveling in South America leading uh, group tours for another company. Okay. So I was like, get, you know, I was cutting my teeth down South America. I was traveling all these super rugged, super hard places, uh, being responsible for groups of people. Um, and one of the books I was reading, you might know this guy, Daniel Pinchback. Yeah. Never heard of yeah, him? Yeah. yeah. So like back in 2008, um, you know, I was, I was reading a lot about the Mayan prophecies sure. and the end of the world and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I was, I remember being on, I was leading a, a group tour from Caracas, Venezuela down to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And I was on a five day boat trip from Manaus to Belém, the mouth of the Amazon. And, uh, I was reading Daniel Pinchbeck's 2012 return of Quetzalcoatl. And he talks about ayahuasca in that book. And then I recall uh, we, we made a stop about halfway between Manaus and Belang in a town called Santareng. And a guy that I was talking to on the boat trip was getting off there to meet with the shaman to do ayahuasca. So I was like, hmm, is it the same stuff that I'm reading about in this book? Right. It just kind of solidified my awareness of it at that point. And then fast forward another few years. Um, you know, I, I didn't have any real motivation to try it in between them. But then I found myself in like the worst condition I've ever been in my life. I was, I had a, a big accident, big rock climbing accidents. My body was busted up. I was in the hospital. Um, I was in like pretty much any KPI that you can think of about success in life. I was at like bottoming out on every one of them right and i just felt like absolute shit and and here i'm sitting in the hospital feeling like shit and i just remembered that you know i was still kind of following like daniel pinchback's website reality sandwich and Mm -hmm. kind of paying attention to that community um and i just thought maybe this medicine could help break me out of the funk that i was just stuck in of course so on my way back from that, uh, from that uh, time, that phase in Australia, I made a trip down to Peru to actually look for the medicine to seek it out. And it took me. It took you know there was this kind of a winding path to get there, but I eventually got there. And you know I was one of the lucky ones. Right on the very first ceremony, it pretty much blew me apart and just like realigned a lot of things opened me up i forgave myself for a lot of stuff that i was condemning myself for you know i really realized like what love is and how much my family means to me and like really what the important things were i should have been doing at that time Uh, and it gave me some direction uh so i knew it was really a special medicine i knew it was very powerful and from there, it was like I was committed. It was just I needed to learn more about it. I needed to go further down that path. And I needed to share it more than anything with other people. So that's what I did. How old were you when you decided to take that plunge? Um, well, it was about six years ago. So I, I was in my late 20s, maybe 28, something like that. Would you recommend this to anybody any younger than that? Or do you think you need to have lived a little bit before you hop on this train? 
Well, the youngest person we've had at our retreat center was actually nine or ten years old to drink ayahuasca. Yikes. Now, they came down as families, and we made sure we gave them just a little tiny bit, but, you know, they handled it what very well. What was it like? For the... Yeah, for the, the nine-year-old well, or ten-year-old or whatever. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to meet the nine-year-old, but for the ten-year-old, he handled it very maturely. He was, you know, he... he Described it in a very spiritual context, and he was very mature about it. It wasn't about tripping out or anything like that. It was about connecting to spirit, and um, I mean, he really, he really uh, handled it well. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. What was Donnie? What was your experience like the first time? The I, first time? Yeah, you hear the terrifying. Story, like, get ripped to shreds. <laughs> the first time it was terrifying yeah. for me. Actually, the actually the first about forty-five minutes of it was terrifying and i'm only using that as relative terms because i have no fucking no idea, clue how, course, long how long it, it took was, but yeah. um and mainly it was because my dad was next to me and he was having a terrible trip so like that was making it really hard for me to kind of have a good trip too yeah, yeah. um and then once things kind of calmed down a little bit um it was probably one of the most relieving things that i've experienced since i've been out of combat well that seems to be the report over and over again that there's an initial shredding of your soul almost and then it puts you back together is that accurate for me that's the way it was i mean my intention initially for the first one because i didn't understand much about ayahuasca other than i had heard about it on joe rogan experience and ted talks and stuff like that which is what a lot of the other guys on the and, and gals on the boat se seem to be talking about on the way up you know we we're talking about podcasts it was like we we're in la um, but we're going down and, you know, my first deal initially when you first start seeing uh, the visions and first start feeling, I guess, what you would call your hallucination, it was terrifying to me. Like one of the guides turned into the predator and I was just like worried and I'm paranoid and I'm a, and to put it in perspective, though, you know, I have TBI, I have PTSD, I have all these issues when I'm going down there and I'm like when I, I was like practically in tears the first time I called and Dan answers the phone like, oh, I'm, Hey, how's it going? We just got off Machu Picchu. Sorry to answer your phone. Like, and so going down there, it was like a really big step for me. But they, for them, it was like this is something they do all the time, and it was very comforting. And and once uh, I got over the initial hump, and I realized that like ayahuasca was kind of speaking to me, going like, "Do you want to keep seeing all these bad things that you see all the time over and over again?" And I'm like, once I gave into it, it was great. It was it was. You know, you actually feel what love feels like and you feel like you're, um, I don't know, I guess redesigning your outlook and your ideology. And for me, it helps separate a lot of the bullshit and the truth because I had been exposed to so much through the military and through police that I had seen so many terrible things that like this shit put it into perspective within like a couple of hours. Wow. And it was like very introspective um, and I knew automatically there was something that had changed in me like mm -hmm. my just the way i felt my overall sense at looking at the world like everything changed and it was i mean i don't know maybe it's because that's what i wanted to happen i don't know i, I built up Still, to it who cares? as long as right. it works but for me it works yeah, you exactly. know and i feel like there's been times in the past 18 months or so that i've been like where i could have felt better about myself where i could have been pushed myself a little bit further but, and I feel like maybe an ayahuasca trip would help that, you know, but it's not so convenient for me all the time to split sure. and go to South America. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like, if this shit was available, I could see it changing a lot of people's lives. 
Where does it sit on the FDA's list? Is it a Schedule 1 or anything Sched- like that? Schedule 1. Well, dimethyltryptamine is Schedule 1, and ayahuasca contains dimethyltryptamine. So, um, to get to get back to your question about that kind of first initial yeah, yeah. hump, you know, because um, we see this a lot, right? It's, it's very typical in terms of people's processes. And that's what we call it down there. That's what the shamans call mm-hmm. it. It's a, it's a process. This is what happens. Everybody starts at a certain point, and then you reach, you know, you reach... Um, uh, I wouldn't say a plateau, but uh, a point of uh, relative success in, in the in the in your process. So, generally, <clears throat> you look at the average person, and they're coming into these experiences with what you could call like a hardened shell of all of the things that have built up over your life and somewhat calcified. So you're talking about all your traumas, all your past relationships, all your self doubt, all the perceived mistakes that you've made in your life. You know, all your fears, all your worries, all your stress, all that kind of stuff, your cultural programming and your sense of control, because everyone wants to feel like they're in control of what's going on. Right. And that's one of the biggest obstacles. So when you go into the ayahuasca experience, the reason the first couple ceremonies can can be more challenging than others is because you're chipping away at that shell. And sometimes, I mean, it immediately just blows apart and then you're just fully opened. Sometimes it takes a few ceremonies and there's a lot of resistance to that. So it can be the more resistance you put up toward the medicine experience, the more difficult it can get to actually chip away and and, uh, chisel through that shell. Um, But then once you get through that shell, you know, then you start to like open the heart and and move on and and find your life path and find your creativity and the love and all that kind of stuff. I would love to pick your brain then on something because obviously you have so much experience that you probably be able to tell me stuff that from my own end i can't never done ayahuasca i've done uh, mushrooms a few times some in a purely haha kind of fun type of setting in smaller amounts and it was fun but it was fun kind of like like getting drunk fun not like in a deep uh, suddenly i find the meaning of life kind of fun then i did it in a more quote-unquote therapeutic setting for a specific purpose kind of to get over some issues like ptsd and certain issue where it's like i feel that i am fucked up i feel that i'm trapped in certain cycles so it's not that i need to find out what the problem i'm very conscious of what the problem is let's go fix it you know and my experience let's put it that way was not exactly the the class you know what donnie described is like is the classic scenario that like aubrey described amber lion you know you go into your Oh shit moment where things go really like somebody pulled the rug under your feet and you feel that trouble, difficulty, feel like you're dying and woof, you come back from the other side and you're reborn and life is beautiful and you see. And my thing was just like getting my ass beat so bad, but so bad that like I could hardly even conceive of something that bad where it's just like I feel it coming on and the first hour, the good hour, is me crying like a baby for an hour, okay? And that's the good hour because you that's... You talked about this on one of your yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But I love to hear, you know, because I was a little bummed out by the end. Because, you know, the, and, and I felt that there was something good about it because I did feel that that was purging, you know, that there was emotions that I couldn't access normally. So when that was going on, it wasn't really bothering me. I was like, I need this. This is good, okay? Mm-hmm. So that part I was fine with. The next seven hours, I was less fine with which is where suddenly for the next seven hours, I'm impure and co- first I black out. So there's a point where I just completely don't remember because I don't know what happened. Suddenly it's like I clearly, 
I think I was trying to drink something and I kept spitting it out everywhere. So I wake, I kind of wake up back to consciousness where there's water all around me because I spit water everywhere. And so there's a big blackout period. And the next many, many, many hours is me completely unable. Like I can't even like people say, oh, you know, if you're having a bad trip, you can take a walk. Look, and I'm like, I can't fucking stand, you know, like physically I can, my legs are not working. Nothing is working. It took me 45 minutes to crawl to the bathroom kind of thing. And, How many uh, grams did you take, dude? Five. Five grams. Five. That's it. That's Which, I mean, is good, not a small a amount, amount, but it's not insane. People take some... In any case, yeah, I'm way up there. And more than the physical, I just go through this hell to the 10th power that continues nonstop for seven hours, and then it's over. And so, you know, it's not like you have that deep plunge and you come back from the other side where it's deep plunge, plunge deeper, deeper 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 where it really really sucks and you can't take it anymore that's when it ends and i'm like wait i'm out i read the books <laughs> i heard the podcast what about the other side of the equation the coming back up for air and all is i always I always remember his description he said i was a terrified animal drowning in an ocean of fear yeah that's <laughs> basically yeah that's exactly what was going on you know so now to be completely fair it's interesting because about three weeks later, certain things started clicking for me where, I mean, I was doing already stuff. I was trying everything I could to try to come back up for air from before, from my issues before even trying the mushroom. And around that time, shortly thereafter, about maybe three weeks, a month later, I did start feeling a lot better. So I'm not discounting that they may have actually worked in a good way for me, even though I didn't feel like it. But my question is, what the fuck? <laughs> you know yeah. what happened there to the... <clears throat> no, I mean, that's, that's, that's also fairly common. Um, you know, we... So we host like four ceremonies in, in each week. Mm -hmm. And out of those four ceremonies, you could have one that Donnie just described. You could have one that you just described. You could have one or two that are totally different. And again, it's um, in some ways it's very obvious how the medicine works. And we're talking about mushrooms and ayahuasca. It's two different, of but course. very, very of similar course. things. Yes. You know, chemically they're similar. Mm -hmm. They're both natural. Um, you know, and, and I, I feel like out of all the psychedelics I've experienced, I think mushrooms and ayahuasca are very similar, especially if you take a large dose of, of right. mushrooms, yeah. like five grams, you can go into those really deep spaces. Mm -hmm. Problem is that most people take like one gram or two grams at a party and things just get a little bit weird. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'd done before and I was all for it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. mushrooms is great. It's so much fun. And, you know, yeah. that's it. But, but if you want to have a real deep experience, yeah. you know, you have to take like four plus grams yeah. or something like that. But then, it, you know, you're taking that risk of shit could get a little bit frightening, yeah. a little bit scary, a little bit intense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it's difficult to... You know, at the end of every ceremony, the next day, we have conversations with the shamans and with the facilitators in like a group therapy session and people talk about it and, and try to really tease out like the meaning of the yeah. ceremony and what they got out of it. Sometimes it's obvious right away. Sometimes it's clear right in the ceremony. This is what I got. This is what I need sure. to see. And sometimes it's a little mysterious or obscure. Like you just can't really understand what the meaning of that was and maybe you never will but then in time you know you can kind of understand the value you got out of that and i like in those those really because i've had a couple of those super hellacious yeah. like uh difficult ceremonies where it's just been a struggle the whole time and um 
I liken those to mental training. So mm-hmm. like you're kind of developing your mental resilience because life will throw all kinds of shit at you. Sure. It's, you know, you have to just get through it mentally. And when you end up going through one of those, I mean, you had eight hours of super intense yeah. hell yeah. right now. I put it up there in the two, three worst experiences of my life from uh, the standpoint of what it felt like. Yeah. You know? But now in, in comparison, mm-hmm. in comparison, some of life's other challenges you're driving through rush hour in cal in in la you know it's like Eh, let's just not get too worked up about that it's not that bad right you know so it kind of like pushes your maximum to a higher bar Mm -hmm. and so like the other shit that's in your life that was causing you all kinds of stress it's just it's not registering in the red in the red i survived it so nothing else right 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 yeah so that's that's kind of how i make sense of that Mm -hmm. So when you add like the hellish one that was for you, the okay, it gives me a frame of reference, which by comparison makes everything else not so bad. That was kind of your yeah. takeaway from it. Builds character. Right. right. <laughs> Builds character. I, I thought it was funny like the day after because I wasn't expecting that they were going to have this like morning after kind of talk about your ceremony thing, which was a, a really good thing. It actually turned out to be really, really awesome to hear people's stories the next day. But... It was what is it? Did yeah, oh, it's my fault. Uh, so, sorry, but the um, it was a trip that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I forgot. What we were talking <laughs> about, but the the shaman in the mornings when he explains all that stuff, it was really it was a. I guess what I was trying to say was that it was a really good um, surprise. I mean, to yeah, be able to I mean, ask questions, totally, because totally, then you have the experience, but you're like, okay, now what? You know, what was that about? What the hell was? Because you do get that moment. I mean, I'm asking him now a year and. Two, almost two years after the fact so obviously you know i clearly have clearly have some unanswered questions there and there's that so having that space seemed like a very healthy thing to try to okay let's figure it out okay the experience as you say sometimes is not immediately self-evident so then what in that case you know how do uh, how do you frame it even for yourself or how you feel about it because i really didn't know you know there was a moment yeah. there where i was like Fuck, I'm waking up in the middle of the night from now I have mushroom PTSD because suddenly I'm waking up where I feel like oh, I can't breathe anymore. You know, it's like that's not what I was looking for here, you know? It's like the So yeah. Now, if you would if you were to expand that over the course of say a weekend and you did like if you did a big ceremony on Friday night, Saturday night and, and maybe Sunday as well. Right. You know, you, you might have expanded on that and the message might have become clear right. as well. Right. You know? Or you could have had the polar opposite of that experience and you would have come out feeling like, wow, that was challenging. But now I've got this great connection and, and right. have got a vision for the future. And like, I mean, the thing about mushrooms, is, uh, did you purge during that ceremony? Like, did you like physically, were you vomiting? Or? No, I did not. See, that's the thing about mushrooms. The difference between mushrooms and ayahuasca is that. Usually during ayahuasca, it's more of a purgative process. So uh-huh. you're you're not only cleansing out those kind of emotions that you described, you know, if you're weeping or right. coming to grips with grief or something, uh, you're also purging physical toxins. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're vomiting. You're, it just feels like you got this these like little robots going through your insides like with with scrub brushes like cleaning out you know you can feel them moving around and then uh and then you know like by the end of the ceremony you're like i didn't know how much shit was actually built up inside my my digestive tract you know um and that in itself even if you have like a 
a challenging psychological experience, that physical cleanse can actually be very beneficial going mm -hmm. forward. And it leaves you with like a feeling of clarity, which also makes the, the, the difficult ceremony more evident in its value going forward. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. How many would you say you have had all in all? Uh, I stopped counting a long time ago, I'm but sure. uh, somewhere in the triple dig low triple digits, wow. I would say. Yeah, that's a lot. You know? <laughs> and not all of them, uh, not all, not all of them have been these huge events sure. where it's been like you know some some crazy trip. I oftentimes, well, now I do it less frequently. So if I do it, I will like actually drink a nice cup and mm -hmm. and have the big, yeah. you know, the big uh, hail mary experience. Right. But, uh, you know, when I was spending a lot more time uh, actually running the daily operations down in Peru, you know, we were drinking a couple times a week or whatever. And um, I would often just have like a little shot glass and you have a little shot glass. You can get up, you can walk around, you know, you're maybe not going to vomit. And, you know, you might not have super crazy visions. It just kind of puts you in like a nice little relaxed state. Because mm -hmm. those um alkaloids are actually similar to like MDMA or, or yeah. SSRIs in a way. They actually help in, increase the level of serotonin. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, if you take that stuff, well, that's one of the, that's one of the positive effects of ayahuasca and that can sustain actually for days, weeks, or even months after the ayahuasca experience. So unlike with MDMA, where usually they suggest that you take some stuff afterwards, cause you have this big, uh, down Dude. afterwards where you would need to, Like I was remember, I remember Duncan Trasa was saying how oh, you need to do all these other things afterwards to make sure you don't have this sudden crash. Dude, it lasts the... like what two days, three days sometimes right. if you have a big M MDMA night, yeah. which I screw up every six months or something and forget how much of a crash MDMA leaves. Right, and I'll, and I'll you know go and opportunity will knock and I'll take some MDMA and then for the next two days after Wipe it's out. like, Jesus, I cannot do anything right now. I just yeah. feel like absolute shit. So, so with ayahuasca instead, because it's longer lasting the effect, you don't have quite as dramatic of a crash, right? Well, you don't, you don't really have a crash you at all. Crash I mean, if you have right. a super huge night, you might feel a little bit tired the next yeah. day because sometimes you don't sleep a yeah, lot because it keeps you up. Obvious reasons, But, right. Um, most of the time, you know, when you drink ayahuasca, you have like a glow that lasts for as long as you keep your, you know, your body healthy. Yeah. Like if you go, if you go out the day after an ayahuasca ceremony, and drink half a bottle of Jack Daniels, you're going to diminish that glow of pretty course, quick. Of course. You know, but if you, you know, if you treat, treat your body good for a couple of weeks, uh, then, then yeah, that lasts. So it's like the difference being take MDMA and have this super blissful, super amazing trip that lasts four or five hours. And then you're, and then deal with for, two days yeah. of, you know, of, of trying to get back up just to that base level. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you do ayahuasca, which can be like four or five hours of potential hell. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then you have days, weeks or months of like four or five hours. That's it. Well, it depends. Usually like our ceremonies last about four or five hours. Uh-huh. And then there's, that's pretty much your most intense right. peak. You know, yeah. you, you drink the medicine. These days, I usually don't even start getting visuals till about two hours after I drink the medicine. Okay. Um, but some people catch like real quick, like yeah. in 15 minutes, yeah. you know, you hear people, 10 minutes, sometimes you hear people purging yeah. and, uh, and, you know, within usually about 45 minutes, the average person is, is Whoa. really feeling it. And it, you know, it climbs pretty quick. 
it can be a little scary on the climb because you don't know how high it's going to go. Sure. You're starting to feel like you're losing control and, yeah. and everything's getting crazy and you know, it's a little bit scary. And then after, after a while, it'll generally find it's, it's, peak and plateau and kind of maybe wave up a little bit or mm -hmm. wave down a little bit. Uh, and that'll last for like two to three hours. And then it, it just slowly tapers off and you might be left with like this really pleasant afterglow good. for, uh, you know, for a couple few hours. I mean, and, and that's the time where you get up and you go outside and you look at the stars and you listen to the sounds of the jungle and you just right. feel like absolutely the connected. Sun, to sun the comes whole, up over the river where you're at. Well, that too. Some people, some people just can't sleep or yeah. try to stay up all night. You don't want to. It's like no, almost you don't want the, the feeling to yeah, stop because you feel course. really good. Well, that's the part you earned, right? You have gone through the harder right, you've part through of the, the shit. Day, it's like, so you it, might I as well it. enjoy it. Yeah, I equate it to like when you get done with like a long run or something, yeah. like that walk into your house yeah, where you course. feel like your head's real high and your chest's real, like, you know, <sighs> open and you can yeah, breathe really well. Like that's what it feels like. And uh, comparing it to MDMA, I remember when I first was looking for it for somebody at home, you know, as a vet, I was looking into the MAPS programs sure. and they use MDMA, but the waiting list was so long. Mm. And then when I looked into it further, when I started looking into stuff, what he's talking about, like that alpha brainwave um, sustaining over a period of 18 months. Like I read it from Harvard. It's like an mm -hmm. actual Harvard study. It says like you take it ayahuasca or large amounts of DMT three times in a short duration that it lasts for up to 18 months. Like these, there's actual clinical studies. Yeah. So that's what really Dennis McKenna did a study on that. There's a, there's a peer reviewed study. I think it's in the journal of pharmacology and something or other. And uh, they did a study on a contr uh, control group of 15 participants in the UDV, the religion in Brazil, the Unhado Vegetal. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they, they basically found lower incidence of domestic violence, lower incidence of drug and alcohol abuse, and heightened serotonin levels. Mm -hmm. So That's it, it is stuff. what it is, you yeah. know. That's Can't argue with science. Pretty damn awesome. Isn't right it there. crazy that the only thing that's like doesn't mix well is the pharmaceutical SSRIs. Oh, it's, isn't it? That's like, the, started, that's like the weirdest shit though. That, that like, okay, of all the plants in the jungle and you're walking around and if you go down to their place, you get to go on these jungle tours and they show you all the different plants. And it's like, you really learn that it's like a pharmacy out there, you know? And so, yeah, naturopathic pharmacy. And you can take just about anything else and it's fine, except the thing that are commonly prescribed for the right. It's, it's so odd. in the West. Those yeah. are the ones that will fuck you up. That's yeah. Fascinating. Kind of weird, right? Yeah. I, I remember when I first started looking into a lot of the stuff about depression, like when we relied more heavily on plants in this country, you know, when we look at the MOA system or whatever, mm -hmm. like how that deals with depression. And I'm sure you know a lot more about it, but like they knew back then that like you could take MOIs and don't take too much tryptamine based yeah. foods. So this shit was around, yeah. you know, it's just, it doesn't meet, I guess the, the profit margin or whatever. So what do you do with people who come down with like heavy depression issues who maybe like they have to kind of cut their medication ahead of time in order to be able to come down and do the ceremonies? Is that the idea? Yeah. So, we have uh, we have a medical intake coordinator who well, we have a questionnaire sure. on, on the, the the registration sheet. So we kind of got us ask. Well, I mean, sure. we ask yeah. what what uh, what people are taking and what their history is. People aren't always honest on the questionnaires. Ooh, that's you know, no good. 
But uh, but then we have a, also a follow up phone call before people come down. So we have a guy who's like a professional. Yeah. You know, he's he's not a, he's not like a, a doctor, but he's been working with the medicine for a long time, and he's associated with the healthcare industry, and um, and he works as kind of a therapist for for children. So he has an idea of psychology, and sure. so he uh, he conducts phone calls with people. And and does like an interview and, and answers any of their questions, but also asks a few questions and he, he kind of gauges the responses and and there are a couple of questions in there that are designed to to you know uh, illuminate if there's some dishonesty or mm-hmm. if there's you know if if people people are are taking medicines that do not mix with ayahuasca because right. some people are afraid to get off those medications. I understand. Right? I understand because it's before I get the benefits from this other thing. How do I give up? How do I they wean really, myself from this thing? They really have to plan for it because yeah. it, it can be a very challenging experience mm-hmm. to, you know, say you've been taking SSRIs for 10 years, yeah. 15 years, five years, whatever. And then we tell you, yeah, you got to get clean for two weeks before coming down to the jungle. And they're thinking like, well, if I could get clean for two weeks, I wouldn't be coming down to the <laughs> exactly. jungle, you know? No, and that makes per- – exactly. What do you do in that case? Because <laughs> that makes perfect sense, right? The injection needs a logical one, which is like think is why people freak out. What do you do with those guys? Well, we, of course, we ask people to get clean. Um, we We – maintain communications with people in case they're having some difficulties. There is kind of a minimum time period that we really need people to be off their medications. And um, once we get people to the jungle, we don't do ayahuasca right away. We have we have one night where we do this new new ceremony. So that starts the, the cleansing process and gives people a little bit of an introduction to the medicine and gets them in a safe place yeah. so they can feel a little bit better. They don't have any responsibilities. Yeah. They can ditch their medicine. So at least we got them for over 24 hours before the, the medicine kicks in. Yeah. Of course, you know, there's, there's some residual... Uh, residual effects from the from any SSRIs or whatever they might take in antidepressants or anxiety pills uh, but then on the day that we do ayahuasca we do the frog venom ceremony in the morning so first thing before they get up before they eat anything we bring them into the maloka give them a bowl of masato which is uh, it's like a fermented uh, yuca mm-hmm. juice a big bowl of masato doesn't taste good but it fills your stomach with something that's going to help you perch. And then the uh, we administer the, the frog venom, the combo, and that it, in itself is an intense purge. And it's it's a purge on many levels. It basically, awesome. when the it's not awesome at all. <laughs> I like it. it's very it's very uncomfortable. But it's an awesome medicine. Like it has a very powerful effect. But it's not pleasant for about sure. ten or fifteen minutes. But after that, you feel good. It's uh, the reaction that the frog venom has when it hits the blood, and it happens very quick. It's almost like injecting it because mm-hmm. you're putting it right on on you're connecting it with the bloodstream, yeah. and within about within seconds you're feeling it. So, um, the way your body processes this venom is by putting it into a temporary, putting itself into a temporary fever, pretty much. Heart rate goes up. Blood pressure goes up. You start sweating. You start feeling really uncomfortable. You start getting these spasms in your uh, in your gallbladder, yeah. in your stomach, your digestive tract. So it's it's secreting all of this stomach bile and and all this stuff. There's uh, over a dozen uh, bioactive peptides in the medicine. So these are this type of protein. It's uh, it 
kicks your endocrine system into overdrive basically. And so this is forcing out a lot of the toxins that are built up in your system to begin with. Mm -hmm. And a high percentage of people will, will purge mm -hmm. uh, after doing this medicine in a very quick amount of time. Like you, you put it on, you sit there like, okay, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel, oh, this is fucked right. up. Yeah. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. You start kind of moving around a little bit. And then it's like, where's the bucket? You hunch over the bucket. And when you purge on this cambo, it is heavy duty. Like, I mean, you don't have a lot in your stomach because you're, you, you, know, sure. you fasted yeah, since the night before. But the stuff you're purging is like this bright yellow, like super thick uh, bile. That's like all of this stuff that you probably never get out in your life. All of this stuff is being forced up. And you're, I mean, it just, it's such a deep purge that you just get all of this stuff out and then you replenish it with clean water and clean yeah. food. So you set the stage for that. And if, you know, if you're trying to get off of those medications, just chill out in a hammock all day. You got nothing to do. Or if you want a distraction, we've got boats going out with jungle guides going sure. out to explore the jungle. You can, you know, go, go have some fun with the group. And then you come back later that evening and ayahuasca time. And then that ayahuasca further purging, but then the ayahuasca is replacing those SSRIs with more serotonin. Mm -hmm. So then you're not feeling like you need those SSRIs, sure. at least for the duration of the week. And then you're kind of off of it. And then you get, you know, if, for more extreme cases, we have retreats up to 21 days. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we call that the total human transformation <laughs> right. to take a page out of on its book. Right. You know? But, uh, but yeah, um, if 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 someone's coming in with extreme addictions and they actually follow the program and stay there for 21 days, 21 days that's generally accepted as a appropriate time frame to form or break new habits. So, you know, you you and, and we have additional plants as well. So you might be doing like a diet, like an ayahuasca retreat, but if you have specific issues. The shamans there, we have three native shamans who are Shipibo and mm -hmm. they, you know, they've been working with medicine, I think collectively like 80 years experience or something like that. They have a whole roster of various other plants from right. the jungle. Yep. And so they can administer secondary plants. Yep. So if you want to just do ayahuasca, you can come and eat like decent tasting food with a little bit of salt and, a, you know, yep. not really any sugar, but like all the fruits and all sure. that kind of stuff. Um, and a little bit of oil too, but uh, if you want to do like uh, an extreme diet with some of the other master plants or more subtle plants, the shamans will prepare that day to day. So then you have to eat like a, a very strict diet. So no salt, no sugar, no oil, like, you know, uh, chicken uh, grilled on a charcoal grill, with, you know, pasta, yeah. no salt, no oil. Um, vegetables, the, the fruits are limited, the garlic and, and onions are limited. But then if, if someone's coming in with a very strong addiction, uh, they might administer uh, like uh, chimipampana or something like that, which which I've taken because I have a little bit of a, uh, affinity for grapes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so... You know, sometimes I'll go in for like one of those 21-day total Going human transformations after. and just 
clean everything and they'll give me one of those detoxing plants to just make sure that everything's up. Yeah. Then there are other things for like bringing in light or bringing in love or bringing in creativity. And, uh, and so you can kind of augment your ayahuasca experience with those additional plants. What's the history? How long does this go back to like Inca times or? Is there any- Absolutely. Yeah. Or even before, because I'm hearing a lot of like the Machu Picchu, the Incas even claimed that they didn't build that, that it was provided to them. Well, there were pre-Incan civilizations, and so it depends kind of what medicine you're talking about. If you're talking about San Pedro, that goes back to uh, that goes back to um, the like Chavin people. They were called the Jaguar people. No, that's actually the Matses. But the Chavin, they worship jaguars, and they have, I think, the temple of the jaguar up in up in the mountains there. And so they were. There's evidence of them practicing shamanism dating back like 5,000 years. The ayahuasca, I don't think, is that old. Um, but it does go back hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah, and, uh, and the practice of shamanism have been like integral to pretty much every culture, every, every pre-industrial culture around the world, right? Siberia, of course. Uh, Europe, yeah. you know, Africa, South oh, America, course. North America, what, what medicine they're using changes yeah. or if they're using a medicine or just like some type of meditative, spiritual or dance or what have you. Yeah. I remember, who was who our ayahuasca friend who, went, who had the vision and went to Peru? Uh, Hamilton Sutter. Yeah. He um, he said first of all that the the plants actually guided them to find the the anti venom or the um, not anti venom but the the secondary element oh, the, the needed two to, plants right 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 yeah because they grow far apart right but they say they actually once they get pretty far along the way they actually train inside the ceremonies that they will meet each other inside the spirit realm yeah and 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 move further on inside there have you experienced anything along those lines uh not me i've never i've never tried to learn shamanism i'm more of a um bridge builder uh, but uh yeah the shamans well first of all to touch on your your point about how they found the medicine yeah that's the that's kind of the going history down there in in the actual native indigenous communities you know and and the story of ayahuasca is that it was because the statistics are very uh shocking when it comes to the amount of plants in the amazon how do you find these two that just happen to work synergistically together you know so they you know they they say that the, the talking to the spirit plants actually led them to put these two together to create the ayahuasca but um yeah, I hear a lot of like I'm I'm borderline atheist, and I've uh, you know I've always had a little bit of an issue with with religion. I've I consider myself spiritual to agree to a degree, but but still very skeptical of of things like you know that don't make any sense to me. Um, so you know I don't know maybe it's the wrong industry to be in, but uh, um, but you know I I. I I allow the shamans to drive the spiritual healing programs. This is, these are their traditions. We follow their traditions to a T, you know, and, and we work within their traditions. And the stuff that, like, it's beyond my understanding. Like, I have, I don't see a lot of, uh, uh, like, they talk about 
shamans attacking other shamans. Like sure. we might be in ceremony and I'll say, Wheeler, how are you doing? And he'll say, um, I just was, I, I've been attacked all night by this right. shaman that we know, yeah. like from Tamishako, which is, you know, 200 kilometers away or something like that. But he's coming in and he's influencing yeah. the ceremony. That's exactly and, and we've had, uh, we've had ceremonies that have been like, what the fuck is going on here? Like something is just haywire. Like we had this one, uh, this one retreat with, uh, there were 19 people in the retreat. We accidentally overbooked by one person, but uh, 18 of them were dudes. And one of them was like a woman in her late 50s, I believe. And these were like big burly guys. One guy was like a national weightlifting champion. There's a couple other guys from like British Columbia that were big burly, like, like lumberjack kind of guys. And uh, a couple guys from England and from all over the place. But they it was like the most violent ceremony that i've ever seen and there were guys like just it was almost like they were possessed and they were hissing and they were throwing punches and they were like at one point there were guys rolling around in the middle of the maloka like wrestling and wow. we and a couple of the guys from the group actually had to step up and act as security for the ceremony now at this time uh we were flooded because um, the, the the whole area was flooded, it was a couple of years ago, and so we had to, and we had all these people. We had to find a yeah. different place to go, so we actually rented uh, another retreat center that was owned by another shaman. And this, you know, we paid the guy. He was all super hospitable and let us come in and chill out and use his maloka. <laughs> and but he had a couple of his own clients, and he had to go do a ceremony like half a mile away or something in the jungle, like, you know, with a little shed. And, and so then we hosted the ceremony and it just went ape shit. And our shamans were like, yeah, this guy's over here. He's throwing darts at me. He's attacking me. He's causing all this. And they refused to do any more ceremonies there. I mean, it happened a couple times in a row. And like every night was just like, what is going on here? That's the angry water spirits. Yeah. About. Yeah. i flood. How did you, like in that situation, how did you guys handle it? Because it sounds pretty hellish, the whole setup in that case. Yeah, well, we paid them up front for three weeks so they could upgrade their facility a little bit to handle, you know, our, our, yeah. our group and our, our desired quality. And after the first week, we pulled out. We had no, to go I find mean, a different spot. No, that makes sense. But what about the people in the ceremony? Like, how did you manage to be able to still run things smoothly and... Uh, well, when things say? get crazy, so we have facilitators. I think we had three facilitators working that night. Uh, I wasn't there, mm -hmm. uh, and that was an issue. I was handling some uh, some administration stuff yeah. in, in the city because we were, you know, when the centers flooded, we had all kinds of sure. additional uh, uh, logistical stuff yeah. uh, to handle. So we had one male facilitator and two female facilitators, and they were very busy. They were... They were trying to, you know, like, so if someone's freaking out, we generally discourage, well, we always discourage that because it's disruptive to the whole group. But they were over there, um, you know, when the, the girls have a fairly gentle approach to, you know, trying to speak and calm someone down and say, you know, can yeah. you just go with it, but please, you know, please keep your voice down or whatever. The guy, um, he like dislocated his knee that night. There's somebody, one of the guys in the group, was he i mean he was getting punched by two different guys he was like wow. he got punched in the face by one guy from new york and then this other guy this national weightlifting champion from canada where they were like wrestling 
he was trying to subdue this guy. This guy was like wrestling people in the middle of the Baloka. Wow. And so my male facilitator had his kneecap uh, dislocated or something. So he yeah, was injured that after that. Then I got back and, uh, and I had to help out um, to kind of smooth things over. And then, yeah, we just basically, we, we pulled out, you know, we had to just get out of there for the next retreat. So we loaded everything up into our boats and we went, four or five hours up river to another place it was a really challenging couple of months with some of those guys who were there you know in the middle of this wrestling ayahuasca ceremony and uh <laughs> you know the what do you guys do with them i mean that night was a wash and that's kind of how it played out but i guess you say you have like at least four nights with them or something to were you guys able to recoup it at that point to do something with them where suddenly they got a different side other than dislocating the poor guy's knee or how did it play out with those guys well it was a challenging week in general i mean every night there were some issues it, it didn't help that we weren't in our own space and, and we were kind of confined to a space that was a little bit smaller than what we were normally yeah. accustomed to so it was a challenging week in general and I mean, everyone was in really good spirits. Everyone loved each other. They, you know, it was a really good group of guys. So thing is like someone might be turning into a demon inside a ceremony or, or turning yeah. into a jaguar and whatever, rolling around the maloka or screaming or having yeah. a cosmic orgasm or what have you disturbing everybody. Uh, but the next day or just after the ceremony, they're perfectly great people. So no, that makes sense. But how do they go back the next night into another one with that fear of like, oh shit, I'm going to turn again into that freak who's dislocated my friend's knee and freaked out everybody. I mean, just being conscious about it and maybe not drinking so much medicine because right. dosage does play a huge role in the intensity of the experience. So they played it maybe a little more mellow the other nights. Because that I remember was one of my experiences with the mushroom. There was a moment there where I was like, oh shit, I really don't want to kill this lady. That would be bad. That would seriously ruin her day, would ruin my day. That would be. But that's kind of what I was feeling was kind of like, I don't know if she can handle it because, you know, I don't feel so good right now. And part of my not feeling so good is that I'm feeling that I need to act out in a way that may be a bit destructive to somebody else's health. Well, and I mean, the psychedelics can really bring out the primal aspect right. of the brain. Right? And that was where I was like, oh, shit, don't go there. Do not, whatever you do, do not kill this lady. That's be bad. <laughs> I find that like mushrooms yeah. do that. They get you to a place where you're almost really animalistic right where, you know you have a second gear when you're out like running or you're doing uh -huh. stuff like you don't get tired you're like in the hunt mode right with, with mushrooms <laughs> i don't know that's especially microdosing that's how i feel usually like if you take it in the morning and stuff it gets you to that place more so Even than with I, micro not so much with unless i'm talking micro for for me for exercise it's probably like a gram okay you know so if, if i take it and i know that right. i'm gonna go exercise that's what i do with it but yeah. yeah you definitely can get to that more so that i didn't feel any of that when i was on dmt like i didn't i felt you know that i had a whole bunch of shit that i needed to work on and then i was sure. fixing that and but then I, 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And then, like, very much you feel like love afterwards. You know, you feel like an afterglow, like you're saying. But I guess with the micro, with the one gram, at least you do have that sense of control. Like, you're going there, yeah. but you also can keep Yeah, you can consciously you feel, wanted. like, what you're going through. Right, but right, then right. you have to, you know, it's still, you can control it. Yeah, yeah, You okay. know that it's going to kind of... You're not going to kill the poor lady who's yeah. next to you. Yes, that's and that's good. pretty high for a micro dose. You know, it would right. only be, like, maybe half of that would be... Yeah. Well, in in any of the kind of uh, MRI brain activity studies that are going mm-hmm. on right now, the, the 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 brain maps that they're showing the imagery is is showing the activity in the neocortex being reduced. So normally, as humans, we're locked in the neocortex mm-hmm. in this kind of rational mind, yeah. but when taking psychedelics, it reduces activity there. And stimulates more activity in the mammalian part of the brain and in the reptile part of the brain. So it's not strange where you kind of start thinking about this like weird ass hunt right. mode kind of right. hunt mode kind of uh, you know thought processes. Although Co- Campbell kind of makes you feel like you could see things a little better. I don't know. That's did you do you feel that at all? When well, you take it? it feels I, a little I, weird. I don't know, but that's what they say. That's what our, our Campbell shaman says that. Traditionally, the natives would use the cambo, the the frog venom, before the hunt. Before the hunt, right? Going out and it, they say it helps them see better. It gives them energy, helps them track better, but also uh, eliminates pheromones, so the animals can't smell, smell them. you. Of course, huh. that makes sense. About the thing you said a little bit ago regarding your being quasi atheist, um, that's interesting because considering what you do exactly and what you are involved with, which is how does like some of the stuff you've experienced, I'm sure is not the kind of stuff that makes sense according to the traditional paradigm of this is all there is a purely physical world where, you know, there are chemicals, there's physical bodies. That's where it begins and ends. I mean, the whole ayahuasca world is based on spirits is based on, uh, not just a belief, but a feeling of a reality of other things that are out there, that are unseen, that are on a whole. How does square, how does that square off with the whole quasi atheist vibe? Maybe atheist is the wrong word. Maybe it's more like agnostic. It's sure. it's it's more like I just don't feel I have the authority to uh, to like even make attempts at defining what God is, what spirit is. I mean, I haven't directly experienced God, you know, I I mean, so, so the ayahuasca experience or dimethyltryptamine experience, more importantly, is bringing you into uh, an inner depth of the universe. Now, is that, I mean, that may be, like I mean, look at my tattoo. That that eyeball right there signifies universal consciousness. Yeah. So I've sensed, I've felt, I've touched that universal consciousness, which is like the motivating force or the fabric that exists within, beyond, and you know, underneath all things in the universe, perceivedly, from my experience. But when it comes down to uh, religious doctrines, or when when any other human. I, I just feel like when any other human tries to say that they know anything about God. No, no, or, I'm down you with know, you. It's, I it's completely like, not. That, full of shit. That, that just being honest. You yeah, know, what yeah. you're saying is just to me is not even like it's not innate. It's purely being honest in the sense of, hey, this is what I know. 
this is the limit of my experience and if i try to run with my explaining shit that is way beyond what i've actually experienced you would be lying to myself you would be lying to others it would be bullshit yeah it's not denying it either it's saying i have experienced shit that does not make sense according to traditional yeah. paradigm of science i'm very open-minded and, and i'm very exploratory exactly. right. i mean and, and i love like what all the stuff that's going on right now in terms of space exploration, mm -hmm. in terms of like technology and getting into the quantum field of everything, it's like it's mind blowing. And I just I pay attention to it and I'm like, well, let's see where all this goes. Maybe maybe the scientists will find God. Sure. They've talked about it, the God particle and all that stuff. But I don't believe it has been defined by people that existed thousands of years before. No, no, I agree. That, carrying that's just that, you. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. What if everybody's just their own god? Going back to the <laughs> beginning of this episode when I was saying, you guys don't really exist. You're just different manifestation of me. That's the only thing that we exists in this universe. Right. We happen to be the guests. Exactly. That you thought of that's today. exactly what's kinda... happening. Yes. The... the problem is that people seek answers. Of course. They're desperate for answers. Of They're course. just always wondering about answers and then you've got you've got some other people in this world that will fill that niche oh, yeah. they will happily fill that niche and come in and explain <laughs> how everything works even though to it's America. total shit and you don't know you right. know but usually then there's a motivation behind that like well i'll explain to you how this works just donate to my church and my mansion yeah. a little bit you what's know? purely for you uh, not for explaining it to somebody else, not for your theory that you will sell in a book or in a movie or in anything just for you What's your, what are your feelings in that regard about things like life, death, you know, what's the, like, what do you think happens when people die? Um, I, I have just elected to assume that nothing happens um, or that, you know, you just become kind of part of this cycle of the, just whatever it is in the universe that forms and reforms and everything's just all consistently shifting but i have uh taken a page out of brad pitt's book and just you know i, I think i read something that, that he wrote he was half atheist and half agnostic and he was just comfortable accepting responsibility for what he knew he had which mm -hmm. is this life right yeah, now of course so i mean i'm not so i'm not so very kind of pragmatic on this is what very i know i can control yeah. and the rest i don't fucking know leave me alone. i just my my main concern is is making the the most positively impactful uh dent in the universe that sure. i can make with what i know i have of course which is maybe another 10 or 20 years of healthy lots of energy and then another how, how no, who knows how many more years of like chilling out and just enjoying yeah um one of my uh one of my mentors actually the guy i'm staying with in venice right now uh boyd boyd willett he's uh he's an entrepreneur in his 70s who's been through He's lived in L.A. all his life. He's been in the movie business. He's developed products. He's an engineer. He's, he came down to uh, on one of my trips in Colombia and Peru for his 70th birthday. That's how I met him. Uh, and then he came down the year after uh, for his 71st birthday. I took him through Brazil for the World Cup, uh, the Brazil World Cup ayahuasca adventure. That's wow. right. <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be the Brazil World Cup LSD adventure. But, you know, it accomplished, accomplished the same thing. But anyways, he says you've got three 30s in your life. So your, your life is divided up into three 30-year phases. Your first phase is... Um, is acquisition. So you are 
you were going out in the world, you're acquiring experience, you're acquiring knowledge and skills and, and, and really developing the baseline for the second phase, which is achievement. So then you're in your second thirties, you're going out, you're really trying to achieve and to make your, your dent in the universe and, and really do what you have been set here to do. And then your third thirties is appreciation. So that's when you just kick back and relax and just enjoy being alive. So I reckon I've got maybe, you know, another 20, 20 years of, of achieving. And then that's all, that's what I'm, that's what I'm working with. I'm not right. pretending to live, you know, I'm not pretending I, I believe in reincarnation. I'm sure. not pretending I believe in the afterlife. I'm going to do with my years what I can do. Right. It's your approach is kind of, I leave me alone about the stuff that I don't know for sure. And I cannot know for sure. Let me work with the but stuff you're, that you're I being, do know. You're being modest. Does. You've done you've done a lot of shit to help people out. I mean, you're the village up there. You, you bought, yeah, but he's yeah. talking about you know this life, right? This life I know. Right. This is what I can do and work with, and anything else. I'm just saying the yeah. amount of people that you're affecting and the amount of positivity that you're putting out. I mean, it's whether you come or go or whatever. You've already affected those people. You well, know? And there's a lot of them. I mean, yeah, yeah, to some degree. Like, uh, I think definitely, I, I won't take responsibility for it because, you know, I, I was a facilitator that helped created the platform, that helped create the platform that so that the team could affect all of these people. And, you know, it's to some degree, I have uh, been a driver behind that. And it's very important that we that we behave as a social enterprise and we affect the local communities. For me, the, my singular objective in this life is how do we fix nature? How do we stop destroying nature? Because it's always, I've always been an environmentalist. Those sure. early days, like I explained to me walking around in the forest on mushrooms when I was a teenager, you know, that's really where I'm going with all this. And all of these podcasts and all of the book and everything is developing the influence I need to go out and make an impact environmentally of course. in a less extreme way. Because on the one hand, you've got the capitalists who are like all about, you know, profit and oil yeah. and, and industry. And then you've got the environmentalists who also turn people off because they're like super gung ho, you know, against industry and against technology. And they're, you know, trying to live in a way that is unrealistic for yeah. most people. And I'm trying to find like that, that middle ground where it's like, you know, I know about technology. I yeah. believe in technology. I'm also very heartfelt environmentalist yeah. and I want to find a way to integrate psychedelics, technology, consciousness, and environmentalism all in one to like help humanity continue on. And it's like, so I work a lot in the Amazon, right? It's my, it's my backyard. And the main thing is that even if somehow we pull through the next hundred years, we're losing like, uh, you know, si uh, a chunk of the Amazon every year, the size of like a small state in the U.S. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even want to live in a world where we have no nature left. It just is depressing to of me, course. you know, and all the shit that's going on down there. It's, it's just there has to be a better way. And, you know, I, I really respect people in the world like uh, like a lot of the guys in Silicon Valley right now that are finding better ways to utilize technology to solve global problems. Yeah. And that's really uh, that's really my ultimate focus. It's funny you mention that because we're just starting into imagining 30 years forward. 
what would you like the world to be? Because obviously, as we see, you know, PTSD starting to be treated by mushrooms and how helpful that is. Can you imagine 30 years from now, if we were allowed to use psychedelics to help people out, what sort of, you know, because mental health is something that definitely needs to be addressed. These homeless guys that are just wandering around everywhere, we just made a fresh crop of them thanks to these bad decisions of 10 years ago. We don't want these guys out on the street. We don't need another, you know, collection of Vietnam vets that are just helpless and, and unta- you know, uncared for. Things have to be addressed. So my notion is, and it's very close to what you were just mentioning, let's put ourselves 30 years in the future and imagine the world we want to live in so that we can make the steps necessary to achieve that. And you're right. These oil barons and the people they care nothing about squeezing people as hard as they fucking can to get every dime out of everybody, that mindset has to end or we won't even survive 30 years. Exactly. And I think, I think, man, that's a really good time frame to look at because within 30 years, we're either going to be in one place or we're going to be in the other. And we, there's a huge opportunity here to really reform how humanity lives. And there's a lot of people that are working towards that. When you talk about electric cars, you talk about sustainable energy, sustainable energy gives you abundant water, abundant water gives you abundant food, you know, and once you start taking care of the population in terms of health, in terms of, you know, microfinance or whatever, making sure people have a purpose, making sure they're... Don't forget to go to kiva.org to microfinance. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly what you're saying, you know, cleaning the ocean is such an important thing. I've heard there's going to be more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050 if we don't get... Yeah, see, that's fucked. It's fucked. It's fucked. And like, so a lot of that plastic comes from the Amazon, if you would not, if you would believe that. And I've seen it with my own eyes, man. Like they just, they don't have waste disposal. So you got these companies that are, that are filling the, those Amazon cities and towns with plastic garbage and they got nowhere to put it. I've seen it landlocked. Like you have to fly into Iquitos, right? Yeah, yeah. So that they, they would, do they have to? Well, I mean, they, uh, the other option would just be to cut down some forest and dig a big hole and make a landfill. But the problem, and they do have those, but it's the locals that just you know they don't have recycling programs and they don't even care because you know they grew up, they their whole cultures were raised on throwing all their waste in the river. Now, until about fifty years ago, that was all biological. Or even 30 years ago, that was all biological waste that was fine to go in the river. But now you've got plastic and styrofoam, you know, and paint and and fucking oil, you know. So they're throwing all – like they'll just – I I couldn't believe it one day. I'm standing down in the dock and now to this small town. Dude just walks up to the dock, takes his garbage can and just empties it out into the river. I just see all this plastic and shit. I'm like – I look at him. I, I, I almost threw him in, you know. Yeah. But so a lot of that stuff and, and one of the things that motivated me to to uh, get into, you know, some higher education and, and, and focus on fixing some of these problems is that when I was leading tours down in Brazil, shortly after that, that riverboat trip I was telling you about, I got to this super remote beach at the mouth of the Amazon. There's like nobody that lives there. It's sand everywhere. And I'm out there on this beach, like thinking this is like one of the most remote areas in the world. I'm so stoked to be here. And the whole fucking beach is littered with plastic bags and fishing nets and plastic lighters and plastic bottles. And it's like, I'm like, how does all this stuff get here? Well, it's because it comes out the mouth of the Amazon and then the waves push it down to the beaches. But a lot of that stuff goes all the way up to the Pacific garbage jar. Might take a couple years, but it's floating around up there and it's not going anywhere. 
So like, I mean, it's like, we got to fix this. If we don't fix it, we're just shooting ourselves in the fucking head. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, why can we not fix this? There are solutions. It has to do with um, really holding people's hands because a lot of people are motivated to do something about it. Other people just want convenience. They just want to be fed. They just want to go to the store and buy their stuff. So you have to go from the top down in that case. You have to start at the production yeah. level. Yeah. Right? And that's a terribly tough sell because often luxury immediately becomes necessity. You know, from air conditioning to plastic bottles. Once you get used to it, it's hard to go back. But it's not You can impossible. do air conditioning, though. Just put solar panels on your roof. Oh, totally. I mean, you the know? fact that every house in Southern California is not covered with solar panels is insanity. But that goes all the way back to Jimmy Carter had solar panels on the White House, and then one of the first things Ronald Reagan did was tear them off. Can you imagine if we were 30 years down this road already instead of <laughs> like the fucking oil man take yeah. care of everything? Well, That's pretty funny. Like, the whole idea of, like, I understand you don't want to do it. I get it. But you have it and you tear it off. That just advertising, I am a dick. Well, yeah. just well look, at what, the, look at what the American motor companies did in oh, this yeah, country. They, 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 they ripped out every yeah, piece of, of public transit, whatever, yeah. so that oh. you could buy yeah. oil, you know? Yeah, so, that's I mean, where it makes you think about, you know, <laughs> is it just human stupidity or there really is something out there? And of course, I don't know the answer of like, is there really like a negative force out there that manipulates human stupidity? In that sense, it kind of makes you think about that Graham Hancock theory about there really are forces out there that are playing with humans. I think people are just lazy. Yeah. There's a general sense of apathy to, no, to everything. That for sure. And yeah. I get that. I understand that. It's kind of what he's saying. You know, people want the easy stuff, right? right? So you need to hold their hand and make it easy for them to actually behave in a way that's decent, you know, mm -hmm. and I get that part. But there are then those cases where it's like, you have it easy, it's already there, and you choose to just fuck it up, because why, you know? Other than the fact that you're a dick and you're the representation <laughs> yeah. of something that's just evil, why are you doing that? Or these folks are just, you know, they're racing who, who can have the biggest pile of platinum before the whole place melts down. It's just insanity. Why would you chase something like that? I mean, to me, one of the earliest and, and the quickest fixes we could do in this country is let's deal with child hunger. The fact that one child goes hungry in a city while one motherfucker has a $300 million yacht, something is very, very wrong. You know? And, and just... If everybody's fed, then everybody can study better, and everybody can get yeah. smarter, and everything comes from that, you know, one basic fix, then we can build upon that. And maybe those kids will build their little uh, manta ray subs that'll start scooping up plastic or out of the ocean. Maybe one day food will be Absolutely. food. Absolutely. Or, you know, the, the <laughs> awesome notion, yeah. I, I, maybe somebody should run on that platform. Right. Oh, you've We're not going to have a war, and you're going to actually get real food. How about that? Yeah, like, man. You save the country a I shit ton of money. I would put yeah. straw bales in every yard that could possibly do it. I mean, we had the best garden ever, just growing it out of straw bales that we super soaked with uh, blood meal. So massive nitrogen, four days, and by the fifth day, they're heating up inside. And you just stick the plants in there and they explode. Is that we had, right? We had tomato plants that were eight feet tall. Yeah, wow. it was honestly freaky. For those of you guys, I've seen the pictures that reached to Coffee's Garden. It looks like something out of a Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's honestly <laughs> freaky. You know, you see these things that are essentially bales and you're like, whatever. That doesn't look very impressive. You fast forward four weeks and there's a forest in his backyard and you're like, how exactly did that happen? You know, it's... And everybody could do this. What if every front yard, instead of being a shitty lawn covered with Monsanto, you know, weed killer, was 
hundreds of, 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 of straw bales. What, you know, I'm going to be the carrot and tomato guy this year, and you guys take care of this. And you don't even, you can be locally sourced in your own neighborhood of everybody yeah. taking care of each other. So we have to make a decision at some point. I know I sound like a socialist, insane person, but you know what? I'm on Team Human. And you can either be on Team Cash, corporate asshole. You kind of sound like a human. socialist Alex Gray. Hey, what's That's not a bad gig. That would be pretty fun. Oh, take care of everybody, everybody. And I'm waiting to see uh, if at, I'm waiting for Rich to bring his expertise to my backyard. Oh, yeah, yeah. All we can do. We're going to do it Because I saw the pics. I'm freaked out by how good it was. That was impressive. No, I can't remember. And you just, just um, Google straw bale gardening, man. That's all I did and just sort of did my own version of it. It was unbelievable how effective it was. Well, another revolutionary form of food production that's that's really taken off right now, which I'm getting into. Yeah, I was just at a course a couple days ago up in Wisconsin. been doing a ton of research. The more research I do, it's picking up like in every major city across North America. It's called aquaponics. And it's the integration of aquaculture, which is fish farming, and hydroponics, which is soilless oh, agriculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the way this – like the, why this is so amazing is because what would normally be wastewater coming from the fish farming, like the, basically full of shit yeah. from the fish. Plants um, find delicious. Exactly. And so you, you, you put that through a series of tanks that break down the shit with, with bacteria. Then it goes out to the, the plant beds. Plant beds suck up the nutrients, and then that water goes clean back through the fish tanks, oxygenated everything. That's genius. And and you're doing it in a controlled environment. So let's say a greenhouse. Fish are producing carbon dioxide. Plants are absorbing carbon dioxide. So it's a really you can make it's pure genius. It is. It really is. And so you can get these uh, zero discharge systems. So you're essentially you're you're using one tenth of the water of traditional agriculture. So <laughs> yeah. perfect for California. Using natural light, perfect for California. Um, no pesticides, no chemical fertilizers, no herbicides, no fungicides, no discharge. Just joints I mean, and fish fries. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I think it's it's ten times more productive than traditional agriculture. And so, like, you can put it in used warehouse space. You can build greenhouses. You can set up hobby farms in your backyard. You can put it in neighborhoods. You can, yeah, I mean, it's just the applications so are endless. 2016 is fuck, but let's get this man elected for president yeah, yeah. in 2020. He's just from Canada. Yeah. Right? You gotta go yeah, be there. Yeah, it's have to do the prime minister thing. But, but there's still. an incredible idea. There's a magazine called um, Orion that's got a lot of great you know, farming ideas. And the idea of slit farming, where you don't have to turn the dirt over. Because once you turn the dirt over, you expose it, the dust clouds begin. You just grow a crop, like a cattle-friendly crop. Let them come, destroy that, shit up the, the land... And you don't need these pesticides and these herbicides anymore. The amount of fertilizers, you know, I mean, you look at these dead zones out of Florida and, and, and out of like New Orleans it's, where the it's, rivers flood. It's bad, man. Yeah, and that's just runoff because they just tell these people just pour as much of this yeah. shit you can and you don't even need a tenth of it. Exactly. So, exactly. My wife just and uses our chicken shit. The oceans. We have chicken, chicken shit in our flower beds and yeah. then we round harvest, you know, when it's time to put them in, we put the plants in and we figure it out. That I mean, we're spoiled here in Southern California. Oh, yeah. get See, that's the thing. Want. I mean, there are there are lots of solutions. It comes down to public education, making the solutions easy, yeah. and working from the top down, starting at the production level. You know, on the political level. The problem is all the pol politicians 
are are financially invested in the status quo. Yeah, yeah. of course. You know, of course. And so is big business, and they're controlling the politicians. Yeah. So, and that's more obvious now than ever before. Right? Absolutely. So, be, not being an American, how how funny is our uh, election uh, race? I don't think it's funny. I mean, certainly, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> I. I, I probably laugh my ass off for the entire duration of the third debate, which, uh, you know, just, just watching Donald Trump's face. You did more than me. I didn't, but, watch it. I didn't uh, make it to the third. I didn't even make it to the first. But it's, it's actually, you know, it's, I, I don't think the situation is hilarious at all. You know, I, I, I really feel for you guys, um, you know, not having, not having a good option. I mean, on the one hand, you've got a, a, an ass. Yeah. And on the other hand, you've got someone who's obviously corrupt and just in the pockets of, of all of the, you know, like it's, it's what do you do? And yeah. she's in there because of a proven scandal within the, the democratic convention. I think the one good guy you had was yeah. pushed out by the establishment and it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's a sad situation. And I, I think, I hope this is a learning experience you know, for this country, because this country is so influential in the world. And, and there's yeah. a lot of potential for this country to be a leader, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of other nations around the world will simply follow the lead of, of course, what the United, United States, States does. And, no, no, and I think the world loves the United States. You know, everybody loves the United States. We love what you guys produce, you know, in terms of like entertainment. We love the people. Of course. It's just the fucking government. That's yeah, the problem. Evil. Yep. And, you know, I think people really want to see the United States come out of this, like just pull itself out of the mud and like, let's fucking do this, man. Yep. Let's come together and let's you know let's change the landscape of the world for the better rather than the worse you know well, hopefully bernie got a hold of hillary when when they had their come to jesus meeting and smacked her around a little bit and let her know oh. well he didn't smack her around but i have this hope man that maybe just maybe she'll do the right thing i'm sorry time out out. time out on that it's like- <laughs> When yeah. in the history of the universe have you seen a candidate who was better as a president than as a candidate? Well, you know, you know it's more than We're still, because, still waiting for Obama no, 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 to bring no. the troops home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was eight years ago. The candidate is when you see them as their best, which is the yeah. scary thing. Well, about the different Catholic Simons is a woman, and she's been fighting for health care and things like that for 20 years, and if she were actually Hillary's to pull off... Yeah. She's a robot. <laughs> she's a heartless robot. Yeah, yeah, that's my thing. I can't put We're going to find out, or we're all be on our way to Syria, one or the other. Okay, I already went. I punched my ticket. I'm not going again. Yeah, yeah there's gonna be a moment there. Which, by the way, we're speaking from the past Future, because, of yeah. course, the election has already happened by the time we uh, release this. I've already been lined up on a but, Trump wall and shot. So. Yeah, the yeah. It's, we're bringing a FEMA camp. I'm gonna have a time. moment where whoever lost. I'm going to look at it and say, yes, that motherfucker didn't get in. And after the moment of elation of like, yes, and then I look at who won and I'll go like, oh, fuck. This <laughs> can't be happening. You know? Fuck that election. But, you should read Dan's new book. Did you ever talk about did Yeah, about please talk? pitch the book because I know you have your girlfriend is waiting for you at the airport screaming. We don't want that. I, she's, so. she's my fiance. I better refer to her as my fiance because she'll you get better. upset if I don't. Um, so, uh, yeah, man, um, is by the time this comes out, my book, uh, will be published, mm-hmm. uh, right now we're in a, in a pre-sales campaign, but that's irrelevant by the time this comes out. So, uh, my book is called pulse of the jungle, ayahuasca adventures and social enterprise in the Amazon. And it's really, uh, uh, there's actually, uh, eight contributors, including myself who, who are, are, are sharing their personal stories in the book. My, 
of course, my story is the uh, the backbone of the book, and it's really about the last ten years of my life, how I kind of broke out of the matrix, and you know started uh, following my passions, traveling and having adventures, and and uh, expanding my consciousness with psychedelics and and healing my life with psychedelics, into eventually finding uh, entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship which really allowed me to develop the kind of lifestyle and the impact that uh, I wanted to have on the world, which I wasn't finding by just jumping from job to job and kind of working toward other people's dreams rather than my own and not making enough money to get ahead, which, which I think a lot of your listeners can probably identify with, you know, the higher percentage of people are kind of disillusioned with how the system works now, you know, but I found, uh, I found a way out and, um, Right now, you know, I'm uh, just about to turn 35, and I'm, uh, I'm I'm very happy with where I am personally in life and the kind of impact I'm having on uh, on other people and and where I want to go. I feel like I'm on a, a good path, and I've got a really clear mission and clear direction. Uh, so, so I share that story, and and I also share, you know, some of the business ad- advice and um, some of the tools, resources, and mentors that have helped me along the way to, to really help me achieve what was good for myself. Um, and then in terms of ayahuasca, you know, it, it's not just a book about ayahuasca, but ayahuasca is one of the main topics, of course, because ayahuasca was integral of to course. my own growth. And we have seven other people. Donnie's one of them. Right. Who, uh, who share their personal stories about how ayahuasca has impacted their lives over time. So it's not so much about uh, purple snakes and sacred, ge- sacred geometry and psychedelic trips or, you know, shamanic ideology so much or science or history of ayahuasca as it is about the human dimensions, the stories that people share to bring you into their world, di- diverse people, um, you know, like men, women, old, young, who, uh, you know, who just bring you into their world and share how, how ayahuasca has impacted them. So it serves as kind of an educational resource for people to really understand how the medicine works and an inspirational story to motivate them to start on their path, really, and learn from my experience as well. Love it, man. Sound beautiful. And real quick, Thank we you. need to mention Donnie's Sick Call podcast. Also of awesome. Of course. Right. You're a vet. Check it out. It's pretty cool. We talk about all the same stuff and plant medicine and, and uh, you know, we're growing organically. It's been pretty cool. Uh, it's, I've seen that a lot of people that come on are having a lot of therapeutic breakthroughs and stuff like that. And uh, it's been really helpful for me, too. So, um, And if you're not a vet, check it out. Yeah, and so if you're not a vet, that's... check it out. Uh, we talk about, I mean, I talk about my time in the police force. We, mm-hmm. Mike's a very interesting guy and has a, a lot of stuff to add. So, yeah, we are pretty proud of our, our podcast and how it's growing and pretty excited about it. Sorry, guys. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I forgot to plug my, uh, my URL. Course, so, yeah. so the, the book can be found at pulseofthejungle.com. Uh, our tour company, Ayahuasca Retreat Center, can be found at PulseTours.com. And uh, I've also got my own podcast that I just recently started that will probably be full steam by the time this comes out at JungleJamPodcast.com. JungleJamPodcast.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yay. Yay.
Well, there you have it. Uh, once again, we've done a few ayahuasca folks. Uh, we've had the guy that talked about the water spirits that climbed out and chased him through the forest. I think it is just a cycle one, isn't it? No, no Obedi, of course. Obedi who changed his ayahuasca. name. He was so yeah. affected yeah. by his yeah. visit. This cat's clearly had a few doses. Yeah. So you ready to go? Um, you go and let me know. And after yeah, that, see, I'll I was going to kind of volunteer you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Rogan style to let uh, you guys go check it out and tell me how it is. That's how it always works. It just sounds miserable. Maybe if it was like, you know, on the coast, near a beach. I think we're making excuses. With some air conditioning. I think we're making excuses. Nice vomit and diarrhea buckets. <laughs> next know. to you. That's the part I don't... I don't want to shit myself in front of 12 strangers. No, I mean, I think there's something awesome about the idea of just go and do it in this kind of adventurous, crazy thing. Have um, considering my adventures with mushrooms have been a bit hesitant about dipping my toes back in, but um, I've been microdosing on mushrooms. That has been a good thing. So that's interesting. But... In any case, uh, shall we, oh, I was about to say, shall we say thank you to the people who donate? But since we just recorded back-to-back -back episodes, we have no people who donated. Not because you guys are mean and evil, just because there has been no physical time to make it happen. No, the people who donate are the farthest things from mean and evil. No, we love you. You guys are awesome. Uh, do, 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 do. Who should we mention? We should mention... Uh, of course, our Amazon link. Man, that's the easiest way you guys can support the podcast. If you live in the US, and if you don't live in the US, I'm going to try to figure out a way to make it happen for other places as well. Because yeah. um, there are people from Canada, UK, Australia, a bunch of places who would like to have the Amazon link, and we don't have it, so we need to fix that. But if you do live in the US, that's really easy. Just go through it bookmark our Amazon link so you only have to do it once. Make sure your cart is empty because they do not take into account items that are already in your cart. They have to, you know, you have to click on the link. It needs to open. You need to go shopping for stuff, then buy it, then they give us a cut. So thank you for doing that. Uh, is Lecture Series, if you find in dire need of seven hours of uh, give or take of lectures on Taoism, in 20 to 40 minute chunks. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, in very manageable chunks. There are 16 different lectures on it. My book, Not Afraid, there's the whole, some people have been asking for the audio book. Well, there it is. So now you have your chance to get it. Uh, our t-shirts I mentioned. There's the epic Conan Rush Guard that we had done in conjunction with Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood. That's always sweet. Thank you to Daisy House for the music that I can never get tired of. Our intro music is always great. Yeah. Um, if you guys in preparation for Valentine's Day or because you don't need excuses to have good chocolate, you want to check out Coracao Chocolate, we have the link in the episode notes. Healthy chocolate. I know. A, a strange concept in itself. Thank you to Oni, that's Sarah, and Short Design. Um also, thank you to Float Clinic for hooking up Savannah with a sponsorship. Um, thank you also to Fight Chicks, this apparel company that specializes in women MMA. They created a special discount codes for our listener, Drunken, and then the number 220. And it's Fight Chicks, right? It's not, yeah. It's spelled it's not Sheiks, like a bunch of dudes in, in Arab costumes. That would be bad, though. Is at First, I've got to put the link in the episode notes because nobody understands what I'm saying. And then it's also spelled C Fight C H. I-X. Oh, so, triple combo. Yeah, it's highly complicated to make sure to get it right, but you can. Somebody in Fight Chicks is like, I don't know, it just exploded. 
the yeah they even have some of savannah's own t-shirts designed by her over there so you want to check them out that would be sweet uh kiva always doing well with donations and people supporting it kiva.org go ahead and sign up and get yourself a loan and see how you like it and i think on that note we can wrap it up and wish you a good day And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people. Do that instead. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.